Hello, this is episode 15 of the Cognitive Gamer Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Blessing. Today, we are going to be talking about how memory changes across time, something that I hit upon a little back in episode 10 when we discussed narrative. I find this to be a fascinating topic because ultimately, it leads you to wonder how true any of our memories might be. Before beginning this discussion, though, I would like to stump for a project that I'm involved currently with on Kickstarter. Tim Fowers of Burgo Brothers Frame has a project going on right now called the Tabletop Network Board Game Designers Retreat. It's a conference that's going to be held June 8th through 9th at a resort near Salt Lake City. The conference is specifically for tabletop game designers focused on learning, collaboration, and inspiration. If you look at the speakers, it's quite the list. Rob Davio, Jeff Ingerstein, Kathleen Mercury, and others. I'm very honored to be part of it all please check out the Kickstarter. It ends March 30th. Even if you are not a designer, you may be interested in going. If you can't make it out to Utah, you can buy a virtual pass and see everything from the comfort of your home. Please check out the project on Kickstarter. Search for either Tim Fowers or Tabletop Network. It will be a great weekend of fun and learning. Oh, and I believe I already know what the rough topic of my talk, including title, will be. Currently, I'm thinking, what is GRU? A Cognitive Guide for Game Design. I figure if I can't make a Zork reference around this crowd, I'll never be able to do so, so I might as well go for it. You'll have to tune in to see how exactly the acronym GRU, G-R-U-E, expands and what it's all about. Okay, back to the topic at hand, memory. I would like to start a little experiment with you all. It's pretty much a straight-up memory experiment where I'm going to be giving you a list of words to remember, and then a short time later, I'm going to ask you to recall the words. Okay, you ready? Here's the list. Bed, rest, awake, tired, dream, wake, snooze, blanket, doze, slumber, snore, nap, peace, yawn, drowsy. And that's it. There's 15 words, so it's a bit beyond what you'll be able to keep in your working memory. So I'm not going to expect a a perfect score on this by any means. If you remember back from episode 7, when we talked about chunking, you remember working memory is pretty precious, just about 3 to 4 meaningful units of information. But with these high-frequency words, I bet you can do uh, maybe a little bit better. Okay, it's probably about time for you to recall them. Are you ready? Okay, one, two, three, go. Recall as many as you can. Go ahead. Just say what you remember out loud. I'll give you a few seconds. How many did you remember? As it turns out, I really don't care how many you remembered. Let me ask you about a couple of specific words. Did you remember slumber? What about drowsy? Okay. Raise your hand if you remember the word sleep. Did you say sleep was on the list? Hate to break it to you, but sleep was not on the list. Go ahead. Rewind the podcast back. I did not say sleep as one of those 15 words. All of the words had to do with sleep, but sleep itself was not on the list. When I do this in class, I'll have over half the students misremembering that sleep is on the list. Indeed, they often write it down first. This is something called the DRM paradigm. DRM stands for Dees, Rodiger, and McDermott, the researchers who first used these particular types of lists in their experiments. It's pretty robust, so it makes for a good class experiment. It effectively shows that memory is not a tape recorder and that while we know we can forget stuff, it's also quite possible that memory intrusions will happen as well and we will believe we remember something that simply wasn't there. 
for the reason why it happens in this particular task, if you remember all the way back to episode one, when we talked about activation in memory, you can come up with the reason why it's so easy to false alarm to the word sleep, given that list. Each of the 15 words on the list has to do with sleep. Even though sleep itself was not on the list because all the other words had to do with sleep, sleep itself was getting a lot of activation by the activation from the other words spreading out to sleep. So people are likely to misrecall the word sleep due to its increased activation. In the 1995 paper by Rodiger and McDermott, they list 24 such lists. I'll put the reference in the show notes if you want to track it down. One can almost imagine a simple game placed around this premise. Once you catch on, though, the effect is ruined, at least for collecting data. The game then becomes what word is the list trying to make you false alarm to? Rodiger and McDermott refer to these as the critical lure. Here's uh, one more of their lists. Water, stream, lake, Mississippi, boat, tide, swim, flow, run, barge, creek, brook, fish, bridge, and winding. What's the critical lure? River, of course. It does have a bit of taboo, outburst, or monikers kind of vibe happening. As I mentioned, I talk about the same kind of confabulation within our memories back in episode 10 and how we remember stories. We often smooth over the rough edges, so to speak, in order to remember stories, and it's due to these sorts of memory processes like spread of activation and using schemas, which I mentioned in that episode. These kinds of processes not only work on our verbal memory, but also on our visual memory as well. In another classic experiment, Brewer and Trayans showed their participants an ordinary office in the psychology building. After seeing the office, the researchers asked what the participants remembered seeing. When asked if they saw a phone, many reported that they did, but there was no phone in that particular office. Using schemas to help encode memories also shows that for salient items, those that stick out, you're much more likely to remember those. For example, this particular office had a picnic basket, and participants were more likely to remember it. Using schemas to help us encode information and allowing activation of memory items to help us retrieve memories can lead us astray. We might believe something is there that wasn't, like the word sleep or a telephone, but ultimately, these processes allow us more efficient use of our memories, particularly given the constraints that we have as humans. How might this affect our game playing? One straightforward application is in how we remember the narrative behind games. I'm now a couple of months done with playing through the main mission in Assassin's Creed Origins. I'm sure if I recounted the story, I would show a lot of memory loss and confabulation, just like Bartlett's participants did in the War of the Ghost story I mentioned back in Episode 10. My first Assassin's Creed game I played was Assassin's Creed 3, the one set in the Revolutionary War. Again, I would get some of the story, but I know I would majorly smooth out the storyline and drop parts with regards to the events that happened in the present day. With regards to board games, these processes come into play with how we remember rules. I'm sure many of you have had the experience of making a house rule for some game, and then at some later point being surprised that that rule wasn't actually part of the rules that came in the box. Or you've swapped rules unintentionally between two different but similar games. I recently played Eon's End, a cooperative deck-building game where you were part of a team of wizards battling monsters. For Eon's End, when your deck runs out, you don't shuffle it as you move it back over, like in about every other deck-building game since Dominion. In Eon's End, you just turn it over. But because reshuffling in those types of games is so common, I imagine some number of players believe the rule is to reshuffle in Eon's End. 
Or maybe you started to learn a new deck building game and believed in this new game. You also don't need to reshuffle when you replenish your deck because you got it confused with Eon's Ends mechanic. That particular issue would be called a source monitoring error by a cognitive psychologist. That is, you have forgotten or misremembered from what source you originally heard the rule. It happens a lot when people try to remember if a plot point comes from a book or a movie. They will get the two sources confused. Seeing the Kickstarter page for the Tabletop Network conference reminded me of a classic source monitoring finding, specifically called the false fame effect. In an experiment done by Larry Jacoby and his colleagues, they presented participants with a list of made-up names, like Valerie Marsh, say. After reading these names, they were then given a task where they had to go down another list of names and indicate which were famous ones and which were non-famous names. Some of the names were on the original list, like good old Valerie Marsh. At this point, people correctly knew that Valerie Marsh was non-famous and say Johnny Depp was famous. The participant then had one final part to it that happened a couple of days later. The participants were back in the lab and had to go down the exact same list of famous and non-famous names. During this third part, a fair number of participants now quickly misidentified Valerie Marsh as famous because of source misattribution. They have a vague memory of the name now, having been exposed to it a couple of days prior. And Valerie's name was among all the famous names, so hey, she must be famous too. I'm hoping for the false fame effect for my name as people looking on the Kickstarter page see Rob Davio, Ryan Lockett, and Stephen Blessing and begin to believe that I'm famous now too. Again, one can imagine a game surrounding this phenomenon as well, as people have to correctly perform a source monitoring task in order to advance in the game. Given what psychologists know about how to manipulate what and how people remember information, one can make the game easier or harder. Games like Clue, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, and Sleuth already have this to some degree, where it's important to remember from where you heard each bit of information as you piece together what might have happened or what the stolen gem is. I have one more thing I'd like to talk about here concerning the malleability of memory. It's referred to as misleading post-event information, or MPI. Here, information that you hear or see after an event causes you to misremember the event itself. The classic example was done by Loftus and Palmer back in 1974. They showed all participants the same video of a car crash. After everyone had seen the video, they were then asked questions about it. Loftus and Palmer subtly changed some of the words between the questions that different participants were asked. For example, some people were asked how fast were the cars going when they hit each other. Other participants were asked how fast were the cars going when they smashed into each other. That small change of verb from hit in the first sentence to smashed into in the second caused participants to change how they answered the question. Participants who heard the hit version of the question replied that the cars were going 34 miles per hour, and participants who heard smashed replied 41 miles per hour. I'm sure people are bad at estimating speeds in these instances anyways, but the evidence is very suggestive that by asking the question slightly differently, researchers can get people to change their memories of the event. And answering 34 miles per hour versus 41 miles per hour might make a difference in the court of law. A subsequent question asked if there were any broken glass after the accident. There was none to be seen on the video, but the participants who had been asked the smashed version of the question were over twice as likely to report having seen broken glass after the accident, 32% to 14%. This happens in real life with some frequency. 
The common example is with eyewitness identification. There are high-profile examples of Ted Kaczynski and Timothy McVeigh being misidentified initially with police using inadequate descriptions based on faulty eyewitness testimony. It would be interesting to think of designing a video game or board game that somehow makes use of the malleability of memory. Like I said before, games like Clue and Sleuth have this to some degree, as you try to remember past clues, as would hidden movement games like Letters from Whitechapel and Fury of Dracula, as you need to accurately connect threads of information from different sources through the course of play. And later information may start you to second guess how you remember the earlier information. We've all been in the situation where we thought we kept pretty good notes, but now we need to fill in some missing information and we're unsure how best to do it. That happens in those board games, but also in adventure video games too, where you need to keep track of information from across play sessions. Or, some recent games have made use of an unreliable narrator, and that gives the player the same sense, that they cannot trust what they have seen or remember in the game so far, such as the Stanley Parable by Davy Redden. I hope you have enjoyed this discussion on the malleability of memory. Hopefully I didn't cause you to doubt your own memory that much, but a little healthy skepticism in that department might be called for. I feel like the next topic up might be a discussion of virtual and augmented reality games. As always, I welcome any comments or questions you may have, so please email me, steve at cognitivegamer.com, and also visit my website, cognitivegamer.com. Also, you can like me on Facebook, Cognitive Gamer, or follow me on Twitter, at cognitive underscore gamer. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took the time to give this podcast a rating and a few kind remarks on iTunes or wherever you listen to Cognitive Gamer. This will make it easier for other people to discover the podcast. I appreciate those five-star reviews. And check out the Tabletop Network Conference on Kickstarter. Until next time, remember to think about what you play and have fun doing it.